1: Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On.
0: We call on Russia to immediately restore Ukraine's full control of the planet
2: You can see the, the narrative building around this administration, which is like, hey, we're in it for the long haul. The
3: concern is that people across the world, not just in the United States, yep. forget about the plight of Ukraine.
1: Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy and perspective from D.C.'s top names.
4: This is Artemis Launch Control. Launch Director Charlie Blackwell Thompson has called a scrub. When you're dealing in a
2: high-risk business and space flight. Is risky, and that's what you do. Bloomberg Sound
1: On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The counteroffensive begins in Ukraine. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the Ukrainian military launches a long-anticipated assault on Russian forces to retake land. Will it move us closer or further away from a diplomatic solution? We'll talk with John Herbst, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, now with the Atlantic Council. Later, the Justice Department says its filter team has finished reviewing the documents seized at Mar-a-Lago. We'll have the latest from Bloomberg legal reporter Eric Larson, who's knee-deep in Donald Trump's legal challenges. Analysis from the panel today: the signature panel is in place. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeanne Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. Ukraine starts pushing back near the city of Kherson now in the. Long awaited counteroffensive aimed at recapturing ground that Russia occupied in the early stages of the war. Remember, we're six months in. As we receive word as well that inspectors from the UN's nuclear watchdog will be headed to the plant that we have been hearing about, Zaporizhia. John Kirby, National Security Council spokesperson at the White House, held a briefing today with some reporters on Zoom and called on Russia to honor the agreement to let the inspectors in.
2: Russia should ensure safe, unfettered access for these independent inspectors. We also believe that Russia should agree to a demilitarized zone around the plant. As we've said many times, the nuclear power plant is not the appropriate location for combat
5: operations.
1: In a tweet, the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency says inspectors will be at the nuclear power plant later on this week. A special conversation about all of this now with the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, John Herbst, back with us, of course, now senior director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. John is joining us from Lithuania uh, with congressional staff fellows there meeting with officials and activists to talk about Russian aggression in Ukraine and throughout Europe, for that matter. Ambassador, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio is the most important issue right now what's happening at this nuclear plant? How can the U.S. help from a diplomatic standpoint to get these inspectors in?
4: Well, what's happening at the nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia, which Russia has taken control of and placed weapons in and around yeah. and fired missiles in Ukraine from from that area is very dangerous. But I think we're on the step to reducing the danger. Uh, the United States has been very active diplomatically putting pressure on moscow for this additional danger that is, it's war of aggression in ukraine is creating and as a consequence it looks like we, we can't say for sure but it looks like moscow has agreed that the iaea the international agency which pursues of nuclear issues yeah. will have access will be able to inspect the plant
1: well, I guess we'll learn a lot at that point. Uh, I don't know you know I- I- exactly what happens next. But, as you just heard, John Kirby suggest a demilitarized zone in that area. is that is there even a chance for that who negotiates that at this stage of the war?
4: Um I don't rule it out, but I would not count it in either. um if If such the thing is negotiated, I suspect the u n and the IAEA will be yeah. the negotiators um with the Russians and with the Ukrainians. But it's one thing from Moscow to lower tensions It would be another thing from actually withdraw their forces from right. around and inside the nuclear reactor. But that would obviously be a big step forward.
1: Well, based on the behavior uh, that we've seen from the Russians in, for instance, closing ports on the Black Sea, you, you know, hopes shouldn't be too high, I guess, is your point, right?
4: Well, I, I would make I would say yes, but it's also true that Moscow would shut down all grain exports from Ukraine for literally months. But international pressure got them to open up the ports at least somewhat. So at some some points, international pressure can affect the Kremlin's nasty calculations. Ambassador Herbst, tell us
1: uh, your thoughts on this counteroffensive right now. And I ask you that. With the knowledge that you were uh, one of the signatories on an open letter that has been published in a few places in Washington here, insisting on greater military and strategic support for Ukraine, you've you've said that we need to do more as this counteroffensive begins and we sign another three billion dollars worth of weapons over to Ukraine. What else should we be doing?
4: Well, the administration has provided substantial assistance to Ukraine, and that's very good. But it has also been slow and timid at providing Ukraine the weapons it needs to actually stop the Russians cold and push them back. Uh, That needs to to stop. And that's why we issued that statement last week, signed by 19 former senior military and civilian officials. Uh, we need to send longer range artillery, not just artillery, which has a range of 85 kilometers, but up to 150 or even 300 kilometers. We need to send um, fighter planes. We refuse to send to Ukraine. Huh. We need to send tanks. If we do all these things, Moscow will lose the land it's currently conquered, at least in the south and perhaps in the east.
1: At what and point, at least, though, you send all that stuff over there? I mean, it should shouldn't Russia just consider itself to be at war with the U.S. in Ukraine?
4: Look. Moscow is unable to defeat the Ukrainians. When Ukraine receives military and economic support for the United States, they are in no way able to be at war with the United States. Our conventional military and NATO's conventional military is far greater. Oh, uh, and we should not allow ourselves to be intimidated when Putin throws out nuclear threats, which he's highly unlikely to actually put into place, put into practice.
1: Well, how do you think Russia will be able to hold up at this point if it is a concerted counteroffensive, knowing that we have been keeping Ukraine armed here uh, with with such depletion on the Russian side, 80,000 casualties, according to the Pentagon, and no access to new hardware, they can't get the chips to make new stuff to replace the tanks and missiles in the field. So is the timing right?
4: Uh, The timing is right for a new offensive, but I don't believe Ukraine has enough hardware, again, longer-range missiles, tanks, Mm -hmm. armored personnel carriers, planes, to conduct a substantial effective counteroffensive. If we gave Ukraine everything or nearly everything it's asking for, I, I don't have any doubt they could take back most of the South and a good portion of the East. And I hope we'll see that, because it's crazy to talk about negotiations right now when Putin's aim is still to subdue Ukraine. And keep in mind, Putin is conducting a war of war crimes. And if we agree to Russia controlling new territory in Ukraine, we're consigning Ukrainian civilians, women and children to Moscow's war crimes. And Russia has already taken, um, according to some estimates, as many as 260,000 Ukrainian children and put them into Russia to put them up for adoption with Russian parents. Wow.
1: You know, we ended last week, Ambassador, with a conversation about knowing that that we had signed off on this additional weapons package and the types of things that had been ordered. Many of the items had not been procured or even contracted yet, signaling as we crossed the six-month mark that this would be a much longer, more protracted uh, battle to take place before we could reach a diplomatic solution. Are you in the months or years camp?
4: No, I think we're in the years camp. But I do believe strongly that if we provide more and advanced weapons now, we will bring this to an end sooner, Yeah. because only then will Putin realize he cannot win this war and he'd be willing to negotiate a serious peace, a peace which makes sure that additional Ukrainian civilians are not subject to, Ukraine, to Russian war crimes, which have been major to the point of genocide, according to some experts. Is he counting on
1: American fatigue?
4: He's absolutely counting on fatigue from the West and timidity by Western leaders, Amazing. and uh, we need to make sure that we continue to provide robust support. So Putin realizes he has to negotiate an honest peace, not a piece of the victor where he could continue to again, oppress the Ukrainian people.
1: You remember, Ambassador, the pushback uh, that that the, the, the Pentagon received when it came to the idea of sending MiG-29s over there from Poland. They didn't want to touch that, as it would be seen as escalatory, would possibly even open a, a country like Poland to being attacked by Russia, trigger an Article Five response, and you've got a world war underway. Do you not agree with that? Did you at the time, and you obviously don't now, if you think we should be sending tanks and planes, but w- was that was that a, a, a just a wrong assessment by our Pentagon instead? State department
4: it was really not the pentagon and probably not the state department It was elsewhere in the administration look who was uh, it? that was, that i i will not go into that here that that was a sign of weakness a sign that we could be intimidated by putin's nuclear threat it also demonstrated complete illiteracy in the practice and the doctrine of nuclear deterrence we are a nuclear power every bit as much as russia yeah putin gains everything by threatening nuclear war, he gains nothing by actually doing it. And we have allowed him to intimidate us away from defending major, actually vital interests. Because if Putin wins in Ukraine, he's going to come for our Baltic NATO allies. And we will have to defend our Baltic NATO allies with American troops. Here we can defeat Putin with economic assistance and weapons.
1: Mm-hmm. So are you suggesting that this administration is taking cues from
4: other nations? Why no MIGs? i um, um, the, the, no MiGs, because they said it was, quote, unquote, escalatory. Yes, they right. Let, they let Putin intimidate them. And it's very dangerous when an aggressive power with nuclear weapons like Russia believes that it can intimidate the United States. That is not statesmanship. That's weakness. But you
1: don't think the Pentagon saw it that way?
4: Uh, that's my understanding.
1: Oh, man, This sounds political, then, Ambassador. That's part of uh, part of there's, your there's, job. There's
4: no doubt about it. This This uh-huh. is very much political.
1: Well, OK, so has the climate changed enough to get the jets
4: there now? Uh, I don't think it's changed yet, but over time it may well change. Look, we've seen the administration provide substantial assistance, and they deserve credit for that, substantial assistance, military and economic. And we've seen them provide increasingly more sophisticated weapons, but only after they say no. Uh, but then they change their mind. So the dynamic is one of first no, then yes. And so eventually our position becomes stronger again. That's good, but it takes too long, which means more Ukrainians die. And it means Russia has more time to create tensions in Europe and within uh, between the United States and Europe.
1: And Joe Biden has been timid, in in your opinion, so as to not lose European allies in this effort. Am Uh, I getting warmer? I,
4: I think that may be part of it, but that's not all of it. And, you know, I remember when Vice President Biden um, disagreed with President Obama, sending Javelin in Ukraine. Right. So I, I don't understand why we're not as robust wow. as we, we can and should be.
1: Need to get an adult beverage with John Herbst former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, senior director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. Fascinating conversation, ambassador. The panel's next. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Timidity seemed to be the key word there from John Herbst, the former ambassador to Ukraine, just as Ukrainians launch the counteroffensive. The former ambassador, this is a diplomat now, he's with the Atlantic Council, says it's time to get the jets and the tanks over there. This is not an opportunity to be wasted, but I'll tell you, it's not going to happen. Missiles, yes. Lots of ammo, mortar rounds, no fighter jets on this shopping list that we saw last week with another $3 billion in gear headed over to Ukraine. Let's assemble the panel. After our weekend, we come back together with Rick and Jeannie. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. I'm not sure, Jeannie, exactly where the ambassador was going here, if only to understand that he thinks this president has been too timid Even with this relatively large uh, collection of allies here, it's been a bit of a a balancing act, right? But as I understand from the ambassador, the the president needs to stand up and, and start taking on matters in his own hands.
3: Yeah, you know, he's been 13, what, a billion dollars timid, and um, there are a large number of allies that we are working with. But, you mm-hmm. know, I'm hearing these words, you know, fatigue and timidity, but I think <laughs> we have to realize there's another word here, and that's pain. So, I mean, just to look at what is going on in Europe from the energy sector, mm-hmm. you had the British regulators say prices will jump 80 jump percent in one day in October. That is real pain for people in Europe. And that's not just in England. It's going to happen in Germany. It's happening in France. And that is where the he is right. Herbst is right. Because time is not on the side of Ukraine. Yes, right. This is going to be a real issue because it is not far fetched to imagine that people in Europe get very, very frustrated mm-hmm. when they can't heat their homes. Yeah, and very cold. I was it is say. very cold. He's in still April. in the camp yeah. of those
1: expecting this to go on for years, though, Jeannie. So, you know, which is it?
3: Well, you know, listen, you had a 54% increase in energy in April in England and 80% in October. That's real pain. This is going to go on for years. Of course, Putin is expecting and hoping that he's able to strike some kind of deal. And that's yeah. why time is not on the side of Zelensky. This counterinsurgency, that they're, this counteroffensive is critical because, again, time is an issue. Winter is approaching, and that's a problem for the Ukrainians. Well,
1: how about, how about this not go on for years, Rick? Uh, how about we do exactly what the ambassador? Just said, start sending fighter jets, tanks, and long-range missiles over there. Would that bring it to an end?
2: Well, I think it certainly speeds up the process. We we get reports all the time about the lack of resources that the Russians have. You know, we mm-hmm. right now we're seeing them having to pull troops out of the east and the Donbas in order to shore up their position in the south, where the where the surge is happening. That's right. so um So, you know, it, it's it it actually isn't a zero-sum game. It's not just what we give to. Um, the Ukrainians that'll help win this war right away. It's also the pressure we can continue to put on Russia directly. And I would say that's an area, I'm actually surprised that the uh, former ambassador didn't mention it. We're not inflicting any pain economically on this, this regime in, in Moscow, uh, not compared to what uh, ultimately we need to do. It's got to be able to be a painful political situation in Russia to get Putin to, to move. He will claim victory all day long when he's losing on the battlefield, Yeah, but the minute he loses the confidence of his people,
1: he's out of there. At what point, though, do we go back to that concern, Rick, that we had a couple of months ago, or at least was expressed here, uh, that you send that type of hardware, that's an offensive move, Russia drops a bomb or sends a missile into a NATO country like Poland or Romania, and this is a very different picture at that point.
2: Well, the only thing worse than us manning Um, uh, the Ukrainians with our our weaponry is a war with us. And I think the ambassador did a good job of creating a distinction. Hmm. The Russian military wouldn't last a week against NATO. Okay, so like our level of sophistication is significantly higher than what we're seeing on the battlefield by the Russians. Our yep. numbers will dwarf them overnight. Our sophisticated troops, who have you know command, control, and communications capability, will not allow them to be able to get off the kinds of uh, warfare. They they are fighting a you know uh, you know 16th century war on the ground in Ukraine, and we have 21st century capability. So the last thing Vladimir Putin wants to do is give any NATO country a pretext to say, Article 4, I'm you know, I'm under attack, come help me.
1: Well what do you think then, Jeannie? Well Send he- them send them the full list, get the jets over there. Why did we wait so long?
3: You know, the problem is domestic politics. I mean, you know, we are engaged in a conflict with Russia, but we are doing it in this sort of proxy environment that we are comfortable with. And when I say we, it's not just the United States. It's all of our NATO allies. It'd be
1: a real proxy then, though.
3: it it would be a real proxy then and this is the domestic problem and so we are wanting to have it both ways and the problem is is that russia has shown itself and i agree with rick their economy has held up under this we haven't been tough enough there but in part it's held up because of india china and countries like that but you know they have held up we could really have a real impact on them economically in a more concerted way we haven't Mm -hmm. had the domestic will to do that and so that is a problem for for us, because Russia has been showing itself to be willing to wait these things out. And the longer they wait, the harder it is for Ukraine.
1: Well, I'll tell you, if if there's an opportunity to speed this up, Rick, uh, I can't imagine that there's going to be a better opportunity for the administration than right now, while it still has the support of the American people. To your point, though, when it comes to sanctions, is that the conversation that lawmakers need to have when they come back to town? Another another layer?
2: i think not only um, lawmakers because i think there's more we can do domestically ourselves but we ought to see this sanction regime for secondary sanctions
1: on the agenda for sure. the g20 secondary sanctions rick davis and Jeannie shanzano our panel signature panel back with us on a monday and they'll be back a bit later this hour as we turn to eric larson bloomberg legal reporter for help with what's happening with the documents from Mar-a-Lago. That's next on Bloomberg. Now that the affidavit has had a chance to breathe for a little bit, remember the redacted version out Friday chattering class, spent time with it over the weekend, although it was pretty difficult to find a Republican defending Donald Trump on Sunday morning television. As we learn now, there's, remember, 184 documents that came from the first batch, a whole bunch more in the more recently acquired batch of documents, hundreds, hundreds of documents. And it's being reviewed or has just been reviewed by the Department of Justice's so-called filter team. They look for violations of attorney-client privilege. They weed these things out and, uh, I guess, keep them from the prosecutors is the idea here, but it doesn't always come together quite that neat of a way. As I read from Eric Larson on the terminal, he's with us right now. The headline, DOJ response raises doubts on Trump's special master request. Eric, who's on this filter team, as they call it?
5: Well, we don't have any names of uh, which uh, individuals are part of the team, but they are separate from the investigators. And basically, you know, anytime uh, there's a search like this and lots of records are seized, um, you're going to have a team like this do an initial look through to make sure uh, that any documents or records covered by attorney-client privilege are not. Um, handed over to investigators because those types of documents are supposed to remain secret and just Uh between the attorney and the client. So essentially it is Trump's right to have those documents, if there are any, returned to him. Um, And the DOJ filing today was sort of a preliminary response to uh, Trump's lawsuit seeking his own neutral third party to do essentially the same thing, but someone that uh, uh, would not be a government employee and would be uh, sort of doing a review that uh, I guess Trump's People would trust more, I guess would mm-hmm. be it, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, so there, it's far from certain whether or not that special m- master will be granted. There's going to be a yeah. hearing on that on Thursday. But for now, as you mentioned, we know that the DOJ review team has at least finished this initial review. Um, and they said that they did find a limited set of uh, documents potentially covered by attorney client okay. privilege. And They're following the process for handling
1: those. And so those would would be returned, I guess, by design here. You point out, though, in your column, in his August 22nd suit, Donald Trump complained that the judge approved the Justice Department's filter protocol without input from the defense and went on to say uh, that the filter team's leader is a deputy to the lead prosecutor in this matter. So it does not ensure that prosecution team members will not access or become aware of what they see as privileged materials. Have they already seen all
5: this stuff? Uh, it's it, it's impossible to know just uh, at, at this point yet. I mean, we did get some new details from that complaint that, that was filed by Trump, but those haven't necessarily been confirmed by the Justice Department. So we so, don't know if that's uh,
1: true that the filter team's leader is a deputy to the lead prosecutor.
5: I, I don't at least know if that's okay. true. But And I, I, I can say I'm not necessarily saying that. It's not, but you can't imagine Mm -hmm. that the DOJ in doing such a high uh, profile review and with such an important privilege review team here that they wouldn't be doing anything necessarily unusual that could potentially be called out. I mean, it could be that, uh, you know, Trump is pointing uh, at something as if it's, you know, nefarious, even though it might be completely standard. So we'll find out a lot more um, when the Justice Department files its first substantive public response to the lawsuit tomorrow is their Mm -hmm. deadline. That Mm -hmm. is going to spell out in much more detail what the status of the review is, what they've done with these documents, if in fact any documents have now been handed over to the actual investigators to start looking for violations of the law um, on Trump's part. Uh, so we will find out a lot more tomorrow and then Trump will get a chance to respond to that filing on Wednesday. And then we'll have a hearing on Thursday in West Palm beach. Fascinating. Special Is this West a West.
1: delay tactic as some suggest? I mean, what's the point of having a special master or whatever you're going to call your third party? If these filter teams, or I understand taint teams, they're also called already exist.
5: You know, it, it certainly could be. Um, Trump uh, and his lawyers, uh, you know, it's safe to say they've been known for uh, being accused of delay yeah. tactics in various lawsuits before. And, and frankly, uh, this request for a special master could have been made a while ago. I mean, this suit was filed August 22nd. The search was August 8th. I've spoken to plenty of legal experts since then who said, you know, if the, if the problem was if there were really a major concern about um, the DOJ's paint team, then why would you wait so long to file a uh, sue for a special master to be appointed? Right. So that could be something that could play against Trump at this uh, hearing, although it should be noted that the judge handling this case is a, actually a Trump-appointed judge. And over the weekend, she issued sort of an unusual uh, preliminary order saying that she was preliminarily inclined to grant Trump's request, <laughs> even though she hadn't heard anything from the DOJ yet. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll see if, if that ends up being... Um, a final order or not, you know, she may be swayed by the DOJ's arguments. We'll have yeah. to just wait and see, but it was kind of an interesting order there.
1: pre from the judge. Okay. Uh, you point out, Eric, that this is out of the Giuliani playbook. Uh, we've seen this movie
5: before. <laughs> right. And actually, you know, like I said, it's not super unusual for a special master like this to be requested. Um, Especially when you have, for example, a lawyer's office being um, searched, having computers, files, records, phones seized. There's going to be a potential for lots of privilege A lot of stuff mixed in there.
1: But you write that Rudy Giuliani, material seized from Rudy Giuliani and Michael Cohen, uh, was subject to attorney-client privilege. A retired federal judge was appointed in both instances to review there.
5: Exactly. And that's, again, because... Both of those gentlemen being lawyers, you know, really does increase the, um, the risk of, of that attorney-client privilege being uh, complicated in such a search. Of course, Trump is not a lawyer, um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't privileged materials that could have been taken from his office. For a former president, sure. Office. Yeah, his, and his office was searched during the bar lago search, and he is in the middle of a lot of litigation, including uh, also back and forth with concerning these documents with the government. Yep. So, presumably, files or records or documents related to any of those ongoing legal matters that have just been sitting on his desk.
3: Boy.
1: Great uh, reporting. Eric Larson, thank you for joining us again, Eric. We're going to learn a lot over the next three days, clearly, as we heard from Bloomberg's legal reporter. We'll reassemble our panel next. Rick and Jeannie are on the way back in. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. It was pretty hard to find a high-ranking Republican official defending Donald Trump on Sunday morning television. I guess Roy Blunt tried, but didn't really own it. Well, there was Senator Lindsey Graham. That may be Donald Trump's true friend at the moment on Fox News. Most
2: Republicans, including me, believes when it comes to Trump, uh, there is no law. It's all about getting him. There's a double standard when it comes to Trump. What happened with Hunter Biden is that the FBI weighed in to make sure a story didn't break for the 2020 election. We now have whistleblowers at the FBI telling Senator Grassley that they were told to slow down and back off Hunter Biden. And I'll say this. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets.
1: Riots in the streets, the line that resonates from Sunday morning. He's talking to Trey Gowdy there, who's got his own show. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, make up our signature panel. And Rick, I don't know, is Lindsey Graham looking kind of lonely here or will he end up looking like the smartest guy in the room? Well, let's hope he's not the smartest guy in the room because what he's predicting isn't good for the country. Well, and, obviously uh, riots. But, you know, look, there have been a lot of cases against Donald Trump that his supporters have never seen come to fruition.
2: Yeah, but uh, this is the thing that I've left scratching my head. I mean, you know, Lindsey Graham's a lawyer. He's he's practiced law in the past on the side of, you know, the, the little guy. Um, mm-hmm. He was been chairman of the Judiciary Committee most recently. I mean, he's steeped in this. And and to to predicate a prosecution on the outcome of riots in the street. In other words, you shouldn't prosecute Donald Trump because of a reaction from his supporters. It's just extra legal, right? It just doesn't make sense from from someone who's as learned as he is. So uh, I would have preferred you know, him say there might be riots in the streets or there would be riots in the streets, and that would be wrong, right? Because yeah. that would be okay to say it's wrong to do yes, that. Yes, fair but, enough. Um, but he stopped there. And so, look, I mean... Tempers are hot. Joe Biden called MAGA Republicans near fascists the other day. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody, and and even quote
1: Donald Trump, everyone needs to back off a little bit. I
2: mean, like when Donald Trump says everyone ought to back off, that's really saying (laughs)
1: something. Yeah, he said everybody needs to relax a little bit here, Jeannie. I don't know if you agree, but Democrats weren't out in force killing Donald Trump on this either. Is it good for both parties to be kind of quiet while this unfolds?
3: Well, you know, the political reality is the more Donald Trump is in the news, the better for Democrats. And that's been that's been the reality. So, you know, the more Trump, the better for them. Republicans know that they would like to turn their focus on Joe Biden. They'd like to talk about inflation. They'd like to talk about his age. They'd like to talk about a whole bunch of things. They haven't got in the oxygen in the room because Donald Trump takes it all up in the media realm. And that's a problem. And, you know, Lindsey Graham is repeating, what's been sort of a common thesis or mantra for many years that Donald Trump's been, you know, a leading public figure, political figure, at least in our country, which is this idea that if we actually prosecute him, we run the risk of turning him into some kind of martyr and or his supporters will riot. And the reality is that's not how a legal system operates. And I am not advocating prosecution at all. But what I'm saying is that should not be the consideration. And it's a problem when... And people like senator lindsey graham start to say or hint that the reason not to prosecute is because yep. of a potential violent reaction we should be able to handle both a violent reaction and prosecution when it's deserved and it may or may not be in this case
1: well fair enough i mean the the and i should be clear by the way i was hearing plenty of 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 democratic or liberal pundits talk about this but elected leaders are playing it carefully rick is that the right move for democrats as well uh Look, I think
2: Democrats, uh, they have their talking points going in the midterms. It's all about the accomplishments in the last couple of months, really. I mean, as if we could forget the first year and a half of the the Biden administration. (laughs) Uh, But 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 look, they fall prey to this, too. Right. I mean, you know, if I were advising Republicans right now, I would do exactly what Jeannie was suggesting. Just talk about inflation. Just talk about the economy. These are the things that will turn voters in our direction. Mm -hmm. Talking about Donald Trump is not going to help that that construct and so the fact that democrats kind of have a a cheap win here because republicans are already off message and if they just tweak it every now and then it'll just wind up the republicans a little bit i wouldn't be surprised that that wasn't joe biden's strategy when he Mm -hmm. talked about you know maga's uh republicans being you know near fascist because at the end of the day you know that's going to create an opposite and equal reaction
1: Jeannie, what was your take on that? We didn't have a chance because you weren't with us on Friday. As the president went to Bethesda for a fundraiser, there were two different events that night. I want everyone to understand. One of them was uh, didn't have cameras or a stage or was in a tent in somebody's backyard. That's where the real money's raised. Then he went up to Rockville and was on stage to the big rally, you know, the big speech at the podium with the lights, and the cameras. When he was in that tent... He did. He said, you know, this isn't your grandfather's party, ultra MAGA. He said it's kind of like semi-fascism. Recalling, of course, everyone said, well, is this the new deplorables of the 2022 election cycle? Was that a dangerous thing for him to say?
3: You know, this has been part of the Democratic talking point for a long time. The idea is, the more extremist you can paint the Republicans, the better off Democrats will be, the more enthusiastic their base will be, and the more money, quite frankly, you will raise to fund these campaigns. It's not a lot different than Republicans who have, for years, gone out and described Democrats as socialist. Right? Mm. That's you know, it, it, not that so not that socialist is equated to fascist, but no. you know, there's there's a you know. A, this kind of over overcharged language that's become common i don't particularly like it and i don't like it from a president but this is where we are in this environment so it's not a surprise and it is part and parcel of what the research shows the more you can describe republicans as extreme the more likely democrats get out and the less likely republicans do as well as they should in a uh, midterm with inflation this high
1: some suggest it's the only way to beat donald trump Uh, is to kind of match him, Rick, to get in the ring with him, and this would be his style, but he's not on the ballot. I don't know. A dozen Republican primary um, uh, uh,
2: contenders tried to do that. And look how well they fared. Uh, My money's on Donald Trump, if that's the tactic. Uh, Look, I mean, you know, John McCain, when he was run for president, uh, gave an order, said, we're not going to talk about Reverend Wright. That would be a divisive racial signature of a campaign message. And we're going to take that off the table. Where are those days? Where are the days where we actually try to lower it lower the temperature and focus on issues that actually american voters care about american voters do not care about the kind of comments that are either made by uh, lindsey graham in relation to these riots or 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 from joe biden in relation to how he defines the ultra magas i mean all of this stuff is just creating a further divide the same politicians complain all the time about polarization well who the (laughs) heck do you think is creating the polarization
1: well, isn't that the truth? Uh, this is something that's going to come to a head this week. Pennsylvania. Uh, we just learned, by the way, while we've been on the air, the White House and added another event. The president's going to Pennsylvania twice this week. Not just the event you knew about tomorrow. He's going to Philadelphia to deliver a speech on the battle for the soul of the nation. They capitalize soul of the nation uh in the uh news release here Jeannie, and then of course on saturday night it's the big trump bonanza he's holding a rally in pennsylvania with all of the candidates he has endorsed beginning with dr oz uh pennsylvania has become the center of the political universe here at least for the moment genie what what does joe biden need to say there though that will actually help john fetterman and other democrats who are running
3: Well, we hear the argument is right out of the polls, quite frankly. You know, the leading issues as you get below the economy and inflation for Democrats in particular, and this is going to be in a base election, turn out the vote. They are very, very frightened about the state of democracy in the United States. And you hear it right there. They feel it is under threat. We're going to see more January 6 hearings as we move into the fall. This is all in keeping with the Democrats' concern. And that's what the president is going to talk about. And he's also going to obviously support candidates like Fetterman who are doing very, very well. So, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania is going to be a place where he's going to test an argument. But this is an argument that a lot of people, and I'm talking about Democrats, but you have moderates and independents, they don't want to go back to the time of the, you know, January 6th and, and Trump in the fall um, and sort of the craziness. They want some normalcy. And that's what he's going to try to promise them if they keep Democrats yeah. in Congress.
1: Donald Trump will be on stage Saturday with Doug. Mastriano, of course, uh, a vocal election denier and now mired in this controversy over wearing a Confederate uniform in a photograph, whether or not that goes anywhere, Rick, I don't know. But Dr. Oz will be there as well. Does Oz need to pull away from that group to, to, to really kind of reinvent uh, the narrative around his campaign?
2: Yeah, he needs to reinvent himself. Um, uh, The reality is that it was great to have Donald Trump's endorsement to win that primary. And he did. Um, And and subsequent to that, he's been pretty quiet when it came to Donald Trump, Uh, probably cannot avoid being on the stage with Donald and uh, Doug Mastriano. And that will do him no favors other than the base counties that he's running in and he's yeah. running from behind. I would say the Mastriano race is probably what's driving Trump's interest in the state. I mean, Trump really doesn't care if Mitch McConnell's majority leader again. And <laughs> Pennsylvania is the state that could probably deny him that if we lose an existing Republican seat there. So uh, what he really wants is one of his adherents, Doug Mastriano, who is over-the-top MAGA, right? right. He fits into that description. Yep. Um, uh, If he became Pennsylvania governor, you know, I mean, it's a green light for Donald Trump to basically say all the
1: things he said about Pennsylvania elections were true. Fascinating conversation with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Thanks to both of you. They'll be back throughout the week here on Bloomberg Sound On. The fastest hour in politics, and that's the baseline. That's where we start. Too bad we didn't get the rocket up today. Looks like we could have another launch date on Friday. I'll keep you posted on that, too. Stay with us. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor q